Can you identify those areas in your life where you have failed to submit to God's control? What is holding you back from submitting those areas to God's control? This week on Connecting the Gap, we're going to continue the discussion that we started last week about you, God, and the Rubik's Cube. And we're going to bring the Rubik's Cube part of that into this discussion this week. We're going to talk about all of that right after this. Hey guys, welcome to another week of Connecting the Gap. I'm Daniel Moore. Thank you for joining me again. We've got another great week, another great podcast coming your way, I hope. God willing, he's going to help me get through this this week, and we're going to wrap up the discussion that we started last week, You, God, and a Rubik's Cube. And uh, so we're going to get right into this this week. I hope you guys had a great blessed week. If you've not been able to keep up with everything or you're kind of this is your first week maybe and kind of curious about who I am and and what I do, go to connectingthegap.net. That's my website and there you'll see all my podcasts. You can subscribe to those on iHeartRadio, Podbean, I uh, already said iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, There's several out there that you can subscribe to. I have a YouTube channel as well and a blog. So if you go to connectingthegap.net, you can check all that out. And if you see something that you enjoy or uh, think somebody else would enjoy, please share it for me. And uh, I'd appreciate that. So we're going to go ahead and get right into this week so that we don't waste any time and we can finish up this section of our discussion, You, God, and a Rubik's Cube. So talking about this Rubik's Cube, have you guys ever played with a Rubik's Cube? As a kid, we had Rubik's Cubes at school. I think I actually owned a couple uh, a couple different times in my life. And I've tried many, many times to try to solve the Rubik's Cube. And I have never been able to do it. I don't know how many of you guys out there have been able to. There's some comment areas below my uh, YouTube and my podcast uh, to kind of talk about it. If, if you've ever been able to do that, I'd, like, I'd be kind of curious to know how many of you guys actually ever uh, solved a Rubik's Cube. I had a cousin that could do a Rubik's Cube in like minutes. I mean, he was just like a genius at this thing. And they just mess it all up and he'd just fly through it and, and put all the colors together. Uh, for those of you that are maybe not quite old enough to know what a Rubik's Cube is because don't really play with them much anymore, uh, th- there were a little square toy with six sides and each side had a different color on it. The whole point of it was to take the cube and mix it all up so that all the colors are mixed up on all the different sides and then you had to twist it until all the rows of the cube left right up and down all the different sides had the same color on each side so there was definitely some deep thought and some genius that had to go into getting those colors on the same side so as you can tell I'm not a genius if you're like me probably twisted it a couple of hours and tried to get it and then just tossed it in the corner up you know mad at it because like this is ridiculous you know why can't I ever get this Um, I've seen so many people just get frustrated with those things and put them down. It can seem practically impossible to figure out which way to twist that cube to make those colors line up. It seems like there's just no way that you can make it do it, but then you'll sit there and watch someone like my cousin just sit there and do it within minutes. Well, the reason that I bring this Ruby's Cube subject up 
and pulled us into our discussion uh, for this week is because a lot of times trying to figure out our lives is a lot like trying to figure out a Rubik's Cube. It's very, very frustrating. It can be so frustrating. Since all of us were born into sin, and you can go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and you can read about that. That kind of backs up my point about us being born into sin. It's like we inherited a messed up Rubik's Cube in the form of our lives, and we're just sitting here constantly trying to solve it. You know, we're changing this, we're changing that, we're adjusting this, we're adjusting that, we're doing all these things, putting deep thought into it, trying to be genius with our choices and our decisions, and we're trying to bring all of this together into something that actually looks like something and has some rhyme or reason or order to it. And we're always sitting there trying to solve things in our life. As most of us have noticed, you know, this can be a pretty difficult thing to do. There's a lot of times that I've tried to solve things in my life and it's just so difficult trying to get through some things. Just as we would twist and turn the cube trying to figure it out, we like to twist and turn our lives trying to figure our lives out. We make certain decisions, we try all kinds of things hoping they will bring us more happiness and or a better life. We hope all these decisions that we make each day will bring our lives closer to lining up the way that they should. However, far too often, our work doesn't seem to get us any closer to solving our problems, and often we actually mess things up even more than they were when we started. Why does life have to be this way? I know a lot of you are probably identifying with what I'm talking about right now. Well, as impossible as it seems to solve or figure out a Rubik's Cube, something that I've never been able to do, figuring out our lives is actually way harder. Way, way harder. In fact, on our own, it's absolutely impossible to figure out our life. Fortunately, God has a plan for every person's life. You can read about that in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God has a vision for every color in our lives to align in perfect harmony with his design. Since God is the only one who knows the plan for our lives, no matter how hard we try to figure it out on our, on our own, we're going to fail. You can read about that in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. God knows exactly how to put our lives back together. No matter how messed up our lives are, He has a plan. He can tell us at each step exactly which way to turn. God is waiting for us to submit to His leadership and allow Him to guide us through this life. Unsurprisingly, this is one of the central themes of the New Testament. In fact, whenever Jesus called someone into relationship with Him, he asked them to follow him and completely reorient their life around his lordship. There's a few scriptures in the Bible that I want to share with you right now that kind of describes this level of surrender. The first one is in Luke 9:23. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The second scripture is in Matthew 16, verse 25. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. The third scripture is in Luke 14, it says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So as you can see with these scriptures that I've just read to you, it's a pretty radical call that Jesus has given us. His instructions couldn't be clearer. If you will trust me with your life and follow the instructions that I've given you, I promise I will lead you to the abundant life that you're so desperately desiring. But as this scripture 
and Matthew particularly says if you try to keep your life for yourself you're going to lose it you're never going to gain anything you're never going to move forward in the path that you're supposed to be in unless you give it up to God and let him have complete control of that but the question is comes back to what we were talking about last week just a little bit does your commitment level resemble the commitment level that Jesus speaks of in these previous verses have you laid everything down when he's called you into his ministry or put a call upon your life no matter how simple it is or how big it is have you laid those things down and actually gave him the commitment that he's requiring and gave him the commitment that he desires if your current commitment to Jesus is different from what he outlines in his word if it's different from what these scriptures we've just read this could explain why you haven't experienced God in the way that you're desiring you can sit here and wish for this or wish for that or you know you know try to do everything in works to try to get that relationship with him that you want but until you follow his directions and do what he's asked you to do you'll never be able to get to that point it's something I've had to do in my own life and I'm still not perfect at it I still mess up all the time there's still things with me that I have to let go sometimes there's things right now that I need to let go of so that I can move on for further and where God wants me to be that's it's called life it's just the way that it is, and it's things that we have to go through. But we have to understand that the things that God has for us is way more important than what this world has. And I've learned that the hard way in a lot of different areas of my life. God is looking for people who will leave everything and follow Him half-heartedly or wholeheartedly. He's looking for someone who will follow Him wholeheartedly. Luke 14, 25-26 says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The word hate here in this verse doesn't mean dislike. And a lot of people look at that as, oh, you got to hate people to follow Christ. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying, they need to love less. He's saying that anyone who comes to me and doesn't love even the best things in their life less than me cannot be my disciple. We have to put God, we have to put Jesus at the top of that list. We have to let him be the lordship of our life. We can still pour love into our family and our friends and everything else, but we cannot put them above God. The message in this verse is clear. The only way to truly experience Jesus is to follow him, surrendering each day to whatever he asks us to do. Is that hard for you to do? Can you surrender every time God asks you to surrender something? What's keeping you from doing so, if that is the case? You may be thinking that there's no way I could ever live like that. Even if I wanted to, I would fail. I would just screw it all up. Because I've been there and I've thought that same thing. But don't worry. God knows that we're not perfect. No one is. And God understands that. He made us we are sinners as, as we're born into this earth because of the sin that Adam and Eve did. We're not even born perfect, and God knows that we can't be. Even when we live life in complete surrender, we will still make mistakes. I make mistakes. Our pastors make mistakes. You guys make mistakes. It's just part of life. Surrender is an attitude of the heart where we continually allow God to lead, instruct, and mold our lives as He desires. That's the whole key to this whole thing. 
I am always motivated when I look at how much the disciples experienced God. They had joy in persecution, they had peace in trials, and God's power poured through them on a regular basis. Have you ever wondered why they seem to experience so much of God's abundant life? To me, I believe that the answer to that is relatively a very simple answer. When Jesus asked them to sell out, they did it. Check out these following verses that I'm going to read to you here to, to prove that point. Luke chapter 5 verse 11 says, So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. In verses 27 to 28, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. That is Matthew in the New Testament that wrote the book of Matthew. That's Levi. He told Matthew or Levi, follow me. Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. These above verses highlight the kind of surrender the disciples responded with when Jesus called them. They were willing to instantly change whatever was necessary in order to shape their lives around Jesus, even to the point of walking away from their jobs and their businesses. Now, how hard would that be? Some of you out there have a very successful business or a job that you are a part of that maybe makes you a lot of money. It pays your bills. It gives you an abundance to pour into other people's lives. If God asked you to leave that, could you? I've had to ask myself that question before, and it's hard for me to answer that question. I want to say that I would, and I would try my hardest to make sure that I did if God asked me to do that. But that takes a lot of faith, and we have to pray a lot and make sure that that's where God wants, that it is God speaking to us to ask us to do that. But that is what God is asking. If he wants us to lay our jobs and our uh, careers down and move forward in what he has for us, he expects that out of us. That's where we're going to get that abundant life. God may not be calling you to leave your physical location to follow him because he doesn't call everybody to do that. He calls a lot of us just to do the things that he wants us to do where we live, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our churches, in our community. But the point that we're trying to make here is that when Jesus called the disciples to surrender to him, they re responded by completely surrendering to God. Because they responded to God in the way that they did, they experienced God the exact way that he promised. And see, that comes down to us as well. He's promised us a certain type of life and an experience with him, but it does have some strings attached. There are some things that we have to do in order to get that life that he's promised us. The good news is that as we surrender to him, just as the Bible outlines as disciples did, we too can experience him in the degree that they did. They're no different than we were. If we respond the same way that they did, we're going to experience the same things that they did. Romans 2.11 says, For God does not show favoritism. He does not put his disciples above who we are today. We're all on the same playing ground, the same level. He's going to respond to us just like he did the disciples if we will respond to him the same way that they did. That's why he gave us all these examples and all these promises in his word. Not to tease us or discourage us, but to prove that it really does work. If we make it a priority each day to give him our lives, we will experience him and his promises just like he said that we would. It's our choice. It comes back to good old me. Am I going to lay things down and take these things off my backpack so that I can keep walking up that mountain of life that he's called me to walk up? It's all on my back. I have to make those choices. 
It's kind of like a chemical reaction. In science class, where you mix different chemicals together and study the responses, have you ever had the chance to try this? You know that you take one element and you can get two completely different reaction, reactions depending on what you mix with that element. For example, if you mix fire with water, what happens? Well, the fire is going to go out. I burned a big brush pile in my yard a couple weeks ago and when that fire was done and I had to get rid of it, I sprayed it with water. That water, when it hit those hot embers and what fire was left, it snuffed it out completely because those two things do not mix. Now what happens if you put gasoline on that fire? You're going to get a big, humongous explosion. If you're very close, you're probably going to get hurt. Would not advise that. Don't try that at home. Those are two completely different responses. The fire was the same in both scenarios, but what was different was what it was mixed with. That's what caused a different reaction. As we look at that example, it's the same way with God. His call to total surrender is like that fire. Depending on how we respond to that call, our level of experience with God will change. When we mix a call for wholehearted surrender with the action of a half-hearted surrender, it is like mixing the fire with water. Not much is going to happen. It might probably even snuff out what little bit of a relationship you had with God and completely dissolve that put that fire completely out and put you on a whole different path you don't want to be on. However, if we respond to Jesus' call to surrender with the action of a wholehearted surrender, it's like a spiritual chemical reaction, like putting gas on that fire. There's going to be a, a God explosion in our life. We're going to be able to experience things that we never thought we'd ever be able to experience, and we're going to go to new heights that we never thought we would be able to reach. Again, it comes back to us. And it comes back to how we want to react to the places that God has called us to be. The call of Jesus that went out 2,000 years ago is that same call that he's putting out to each of us today. It's no different. Jesus says that you give me the entirety of your life that is doomed to sin, death, and eternity in hell. In return, I will give you forgiveness of your sins. I will heal your heart. I will lead you in the path of true life and you will spend an eternity with me in heaven. It's a swap. That sinful nature that we're born with, we just give it to God and lay it on the altar, put it on the cross, and Jesus, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, he wipes all of that slate clean, and he gives us back an eternity of life with him in heaven as a swap. There's two sides to this coin, however. While it is true that abundant life will be ours if we surrender all to Christ, it is also true that if we choose to keep areas of our life away from his control, by default, we submit those areas to the enemy. We may not like to look at it that way, but any time that we hold something back from God, if God's convicted us in an area in our life and he's told us to lay that down, but we choose not to and we try to hide it in the corner, in all reality, we are submitting that to Satan, to the enemy of our life, and we are allowing him to have control in that area still that we should be giving up. That may not be our intention, but the truth is that every action of our life serves either God or Satan. There's no middle ground. We have to make that choice. When we submit to God, we come under his protection. But when we submit to the enemy, we give the enemy permission to work in our lives. Always remember that. 
that's where that divide comes in that walk that we have where we leave the world and we move into the newness of life that God has for us. That's why there can't be a fence-riding experience in our Christian walk. We have to make the choice. We're serving one or the other. John 10.10 reveals to us what the enemy desires to do in every situation. In that scripture, it tells us that he has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He doesn't want you walking with Christ. He doesn't want you to have anything to do with what God wants you to do. He's going to try his hardest to take that all away. So when we choose not to surrender to Christ, we do more than just miss out on the good things that God desires for us. We also make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy's disastrous plans. I think a lot of you guys can probably sit there and think about your life and you can see where if you look backwards where God told you probably to lay something down and you chose not to do it and then you can see what happened after that where Satan took that and ran with it. I have a child that I used to say that if you give him an inch he'll take a mile. That's what happens in this situation. You give Satan an inch, he's going to drag you a mile. So that's going to wrap it up for this section of the discussion for the Great Divide. And this was You Got in a Rubik's Cube. Hope that you guys have done some soul searching. Hopefully you have looked at where you're at with Christ. And maybe as we've gone through this, if you've been following this discussion from the very beginning, hopefully you're starting to see maybe some areas in your life of why you're not having that relationship with God you thought you were going to have. Maybe you can see some areas where you're holding some things back. You're letting Satan still have a grip, still have a little bit of a, a death hold on some places that God's asked you to give up. We need to really research those areas, and we really need to make sure that what God tells us to do, that we do it. That's the only way we're going to move forward. That's the only way that we're going to be able to let go of this vine and go to this vine and then go to this vine and keep going through this jungle of life that God has put us in and created us in to be something that he wants us to be. And he has a plan for each one of us. But the only way that we can do that is keep moving forward by putting our faith in him, knowing that regardless of what may come our way, he can handle our life way better than we can. So hopefully you guys got something from that this week. And uh, we're going to cut it off for now. I'll be back next week and we will continue this discussion on the Great Divide. Hopefully you guys have got something from it. Go to my website, connectingthegap.net. You can see all my podcasts there, my YouTube link, and my blog. And uh, please share those for me if you would. You can leave some comments as you read or as you as listen to these discussions. I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you guys again for watching. And I will talk to you next week on Connecting the Gap.